0: If we can dream it, we can do it. Commander Colton, this is three. We're ready for
1: you at Diver Lockout.
2: That door is opening once again. And this time, it's opening
3: for you.
4: Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 65 for the week of May 4th, 2008. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and I want to thank you for tuning in once again this week. We'll begin, as always, with our look at the Walt Disney World news, where I talk about a number of news items, including the opening of Toy Story Mania, a welcome change for DVC members, and a number of special events going on at Walt Disney World, and one just outside the parks, where you might get a chance to peek behind the curtain of Imagineering and learn just how they create some of that Disney magic. Disney last week revealed the winner of the first-ever Chief Magic Official Contest, and Justin Maccioni from Seven Fields, Pennsylvania, was named the winner out of more than 1,300 applicants. Justin joins me, fresh off the announcement, to discuss the application process, rounds of judging, winning the contest— and what the future holds in this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There's never a bad time to visit Walt Disney World, but many guests, whether they be first or 50th time visiting the resort, have to decide when is the right time of year to go for them. Often, the question of going on or off-season comes up, as there are both benefits and concerns about traveling to Walt Disney World during both the busy season and less crowded times of year. So, To discuss the factors to take into consideration, as well as some of the pros and cons of each, I welcome back Jeff Pepper and George Taylor, fans and family men, to have a roundtable discussion about just that topic. I'll answer a few more of your emails before playing some of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Let's start the show, as always, with some recent Walt Disney World news. First, DVC members have been notified that as of May 4th, there will no longer be any daily internet charge for members who are staying at Disney Vacation Club Resorts. Note that guests who are renting a DVC accommodations will still have to pay the daily rate for access, and high-speed internet access charges will still apply to members who are staying at non-DVC resorts. But if you are a DVC member... And staying at a DVC property, you will now get free, wired internet access in your room. Have you ever wanted to know some of the real secrets of Imagineering? Maybe how they create those fantastic colors, or how you can make fog and some of those other special effects? Well, now you can have a chance to meet the Imagineers, the scientists, and engineers of Walt Disney Imagineering, and see how they pull back that curtain to reveal how science makes the magic. So, if you're in the New York area on Saturday, May 31st, between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., you can discover some of the secrets of your favorite theme parks and learn about topics like robotics, pyrotechnics, artificial intelligence, and roller coaster physics. It's going to be innovative, creative, and a lot of fun, and it's going to be held at New York University's Skirball Center at 10, 12:30, and 3 p.m. You can visit WorldOfScienceFestival.com for more information. Speaking of festivals, a new festival is coming to the Walt Disney Resort later this year as 2008 is going to mark for the first time the Orlando International Dragon Boat Festival is going to be held at the resort on Saturday, October 18th, 2008. It's set to become one of the premier annual Dragon Boat events worldwide and it's going to be held in the downtown Disney area. The sport has recently grown in popularity in the southern states and Florida, And dragon boat racing is basically a sport that originated in ancient China where 20 paddlers move in unison with the aid of a steer person and a drummer. Now, people of all ages and fitness levels can participate since it's really more about the synchronized movements rather than strength and experience. Those are really the keys to success. For more information about dragon boat racing and the International Dragon Boat Festival in October, you can visit gwndragonboat.com. And of course, I'll put that link in this week's show notes. Speaking of special events that are coming to Walt Disney World, the 13th Annual Epcot International Food and Wine Festival is going to run from September 26th through November 9th in Epcot. And this year, guests can explore these cities in wonderland from Cork Island to Cape Town, South Africa, and so many more. The six-week festival is going to showcase tastes from countries on six continents with more than 25 international marketplaces serving appetizer-sized portions that are run about 2 to $5 each. Of course, it's called the Food and Wine Festival, so there will be wine and beer pairings at each of the kiosks. Now, some new festival flavors this year are going to include Lyon, France, Marrakesh, Shanghai, China, Bologna, Italy, Tokyo, and Mexico City. Now, of course, there's also going to be exhibits along the promenade that are showcasing different types of entertainment and crafts of several of the countries, as well as daily complimentary wine and beer tastings, and culinary demonstrations. The festival continues to grow as it attracted more than 1 million guests last year. And other festival highlights to look for this year include the Festival Welcome Center, that's going to have a champagne and wine bar, complimentary wine seminars and book signings, as well as a place to purchase festival keepsakes. There's also going to be more than 250 Disney chefs and celebrity chefs conducting demonstrations and hosting dinners and tasting events. Those names are going to include People such as Kat Cora and Todd English. For more information, you can visit the Disney World website. And again, those dates are going to run from September 26th through November 9th. And it is a great time to visit Walt Disney World. Of course, as we get closer to the event, we'll cover it more in depth on the show. Another new special event that's coming this year to Walt Disney World is Disney's Royal Quintanilla Weekend. Because for the first time, the Walt Disney World Resort is offering a weekend dedicated to celebrating that most magical time in a young Latina girl's life, which is turning age 15 and that passage to young womanhood. The weekend is going to take place in Epcot from August 29th through September 5th, somewhere around Labor Day, and it's going to be an event that's really steeped in tradition, as every young woman is going to walk into a ball held in her honor, complete with princesses and sort of that Disney magic that only they can create, and it's also going to be capped off by a private viewing of Illumination's Reflections of Earth. The weekend includes a three, four, or five-night stay at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort, theme park tickets, and the Quinceañera celebration at Epcot. For more information, you can visit disneyworld.com slash quinceañera or call 321 939 You can also contact my recommended travel provider and partner, Mouse Fan Travel, at mousefantravel.com for additional rates and availability. Now, maybe a quinceañera party is not for you, well, what about Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party and Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party? Tickets to these popular events are now on sale by phone only by calling 1-407-W-DISNEY. Tickets will go on sale at DisneyWorld.com soon. I'll also post the dates of both of these events in this week's show notes. Let's go ahead and stick with special events for a minute because registration is now open for the ninth annual Disney's Race for the Taste 10K. That race is going to take place October 12th It's going to begin with a ceremonial toast and fireworks display over at Disney's Wide World of Sports, and then runners are going to head on out on a 6.2-mile journey through the studios, including running through places like the set of Lights, Motors, Action, Extreme Sunshow. Now, the race is going to end inside the International Gateway over at Epcot, but unlike other races, runners and their friends, who have tickets and family members, are going to have an opportunity to sample cuisine from the Epcot Food and Wine Festival at a post-race picnic. Now, you might want to lay off the brie and wine for a while until you kind of get some fluids back into your system, but I can't think of a better way to celebrate than dining on food from the Food and Wine Festival. There's also going to be awards presented to the top three finishers in several categories, including top male, top female, and wheelchair divisions. And there's also going to be several Race for the Taste kids' races, including a Healy's Race and Roll. That's a 200-meter for kids age 8 through 14. There's also going to be a 100-meter event for kids who are ages 1 to 3 and another 200-meter race for kids aged 4 to 6, and a 400-meter race for kids who are age 7 to 9, and another 800-meter event for kids age 9 to 11. So if you are going down there and have kids really of any age across the board, as long as they're one, they will be able to participate as well. You can register or find out more online at DisneyRaceForTheTaste.com. Race-only registration is just $45. Uh, If you want a race included with Disney theme park tickets, that's $73. And once again, both participants and spectators are encouraged to bring some non-perishable food items to the event for donation to the Second Harvest Food Bank of Central Florida. One big item that is coming from the parks this week is that on May 2nd, Toy Story Mania cast member previews began. And the reviews, minus the details, as I want to really experience it all firsthand when I go myself in a couple of weeks, have been nothing but glowing. So, and if you're going to be at the studios from now until May 31st, there will be intermittent and unannounced soft openings for guests throughout the day, so be sure and check back at the attraction early and often. And while you're walking to the event on the former Mickey Avenue, you'll notice not only the Pixar Studios sign, but the new Disney's Hollywood Studios logo that has been placed on the Animation Courtyard archway, replacing the old MGM Studios logo and lion. Now I want to move right from the news section over to the Walt Disney World rumor mill because it's been a few weeks since I reported anything in this section and there are a few reasons behind that. One of which is that there are a number of rumors that I have that I'm working on getting some additional information on before reporting them on the show. A couple of things though that I can tell you is that I have heard more about Disney's Night Kingdom and from what I understand from my sources, the project is set to move forward but with no targeted opening date. I've also reported in the past that a walk, well, roll around WALL-E character would be coming to the parks and that rumor seems to be even moving more towards the realm of news than before. Look for a 3 to 4 foot tall Wally e robot probably in the studios later on this summer. I've also heard that plans for the Star Tours update may have been kicked back into high gear with the original plans to update the attraction having been expanded to include the exterior queue as well as additional technological enhancements, which I've been told will instantly propel this attraction to e-ticket level. Now, I do have a few other rumors that I'd love to share, but I can't at this point. But let's just say that they have to deal with two of my favorite reasons to visit Walt Disney World, food and parties. So stay tuned for more rumors and be sure to visit my blog over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com for updates as they occur. To discuss this week's news or rumors, visit the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com.
3: Millions come to Walt Disney World each year to make memories. Three travelers have come, though, for a different dream, becoming Disney Park's first chief magic official, or CMO. After half a million Internet votes at DreamCMO.com, Disney Parks and CareerBuilder.com have brought the three top candidates to Florida, where they'll compete in friendly rivalry. Let's meet our three. David Hawley, a 6-foot Scorpio and TV production manager with size 15 sneakers from Sacramento, California. Justin Machoni, 7 from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just hopes his wife isn't too embarrassed by his dance moves. Justin marched down Main Street, USA in high school and as an adult returned to direct a marching band.
2: It's more than just the parks, it's more than just the movies, it's more than than all of the amazing things that Disney creates. It's the it's the lifestyle, it's the the belief in magical things—it's the belief that, that that you can become or dream and create anything that you want to be—and I try to live that and make that possible for everybody.
3: Trip West, a six-foot-six radio DJ from Atlanta, Georgia, can wiggle his ears, but not sure if he can still dunk a basketball. Trip got his first Mickey ears at the age of two. He's been training for the CMO challenges with his four-year-old and two-year-old daughters.
0: ready for this? This is the moment we've all been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, the real chief magic official is Justin! Come here, Justin.
4: You all did a great
0: job. Give them all of applause. Thank you for a hard-fought competition, and thank you so much to all of our finalists. You did a great job. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the world, this is our first Chief Magic official, Justin from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania!
4: Earlier this year, Disney announced a contest unlike any they had ever conducted before. Because for the first time ever, Disney partnered with CareerBuilder.com to give one person The Ultimate Dream Job. In fact, they didn't just give them a job, they created an entirely new position, and that's Chief Magic Official. And in a description that seemed to be part ambassador, part Ultimate Dream Squad member, it offered a chance to be a true magic maker for one year. The contest began this past January, and applicants had a chance to submit a video resume. From the year... The field was narrowed down to 20, and online voting narrowed the field even further until the top three finalists were reached, and Ronald West, David Hawley, and Justin Maccioni were those finalists. And on April 22nd, after an in-park competition, Justin was named Disney's first Chief Magic official, so it is my distinct honor to welcome and introduce you to Justin Machoni, Disney CMO. Justin, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Louis. It's really, it's my pleasure to be here. And that, that introduction made me nervous all over again. And that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of pressure.
4: I can't believe any sort of pressure you'll ever have in your life will compare to, to probably what you've been going through the past couple of weeks and, and couple of months. And I mean, even now you just, I mean, I'd have to assume it, it almost might not have even hit you yet because with you know the exhaustion and the anxiety and and everything else, um, it, it must be an amazing feeling right now.
2: It, it absolutely is amazing. I mean the whole process from making the video back in January all the way through to today has been has been an absolutely incredible ride. i'm I'm also I'm not sure it's it's sunk in yet. Um, I, I'm still still kind of grasping at, at, at what all it entails and what, what all it means and and um, it's it's just been absolutely. In, an incredible thing to, to be able to share with my family and my friends and, and Disney fans all over the world. So thank you again for having me on your show.
4: No, oh, no, it really is my pleasure. And uh, let's, let's kind of go back. Let, let's take a few steps back. And so Disney and Career Builder they announced a number of months ago, I guess probably back in January, a contest where you could be named this first Disney's chief magic official. And the details about the role and what it would entail were kind of sketchy. But what made you see this and decide that you wanted to enter?
2: Uh, they were they were a little sketchy at first, and I think they, they you know they were intentionally vague. Um, I've been a, a Disney fan my entire life, and, and as as many of your listeners, I'm sure, are in the same boat, have always dreamt of, of working for them. And when I started to read through what it was that they were looking for—the type of personality, the type of passion, the, the type of you know Disney nut—I said, okay, I'm I'm, I'm kind of good in those categories. I, I think I've got what they're looking for. And when I got to the part that, that this position was going to be somebody who, who got right in kind of to the front lines and, and made magic happen for guests, that this would not be just a, a figurehead position. This wouldn't just be somebody who gets the opportunity to say, look, I, I, look, mom, I, I want a trip, I want a contest. It would be somebody who really got to make magic and, and create dreams. I, I said, you know what, that's, that's worth following. So that's, uh, that's kind of where it started.
4: And I think that was really the appeal. I mean, I've always personally felt that the Dream Squad members had probably the greatest role in the grand Disney Parks cast of being able to really walk around and make people happy and to be able to do that as in in sort of an honorary uh, position like this was just kind of the ultimate job.
2: Oh, it it absolutely. I mean, this position really is the ultimate dream job. And I agree with you about the, the Dream Squad members. Uh, every disney cast member has the opportunity on a daily basis to make magic happen and and just in this past trip um you know i saw several who who go way out of their way and i know you know many of them as well who who go above and beyond to make that happen but the dream squad members are are given that 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 task every day and, and they wake up in the morning knowing that really their purpose for that day is just to go out and and make people smile and make magical memories and I'm gonna get to hang out
4: with them. That's a pretty cool thing. <laughs> yeah, when when your job, you know, when you win a job where you know the Magic Kingdom becomes your office and making people happy is your is your job. Uh, I mean, it does not get any better than that.
2: No, it really doesn't. And uh, you know, happiness is one of those things that that's just, just just seems to uh, um, I'm not coming up with the right word here, but it. It reinvents itself. When, when you make somebody else happy, you can't help but be happy yourself. And then the person that you touched in the first place hopefully goes on and, and spreads it you know, even farther. And, and it really, the effect that you can have when you set out with that goal in mind every day is, is incredible.
4: Yeah, and it's, you know, Justin, it's because that you feel that way. You know, when I watched your video, I can tell you this now. When I watched your video, you could see that passion that you have come through. And your video really stood out to me from the beginning because I saw it and I said, wow. I said, "There's this guy has it. Whatever quote-unquote it is, you have it. it." and It was the child-sized purple Disney princess's
2: bike helmet, wasn't it?
4: (laughs) Well, there was something else, too. There was something else very, very creative that you did and I applaud you for that I think really caught people's attention. Tell us about some of the wordplay that you did. Um, I'm, a,
0: I'm
2: a word person. Uh, my wife is an English teacher. I am not. I mangle the English language on a regular basis and then try to cover up for it by saying, no, it's a new word, really. Um, I, I'm one of those people who gives nicknames to all his friends and those kinds of things. And When uh, I met with a couple of friends and some people who were helping me brainstorm ideas, we wrote all these things down on a big whiteboard in the classroom. We said, okay, these are all the qualities that, that, that we think they're looking for. These are all the qualities that I... You know, think I possess, these are the you know, the different categories they could fit into. We started just kinda mix and match and, and, and while they went off on other tangents, I kinda stood at the whiteboard and just literally started drawing lines from one to another, crossing out letters or, you know, Xing out a syllable here or there and I and I started to settle in on, on a few key themes and and found found out that there's no way I was gonna be able to say or explain all of the individual ideas I wanted to in 60 seconds, so I said, okay, here's, here's a way to, to, to tackle a couple of ideas, smush the words together, I get more words out <laughs> in 60 seconds, and it's an actual visual, real life form of creativity, you know, it's easier than just saying, I'm adventurous, and I have a sense of curiosity, okay, well, how does that actually play out, well, you push them together, you redefine it as a sense of adventurosity, and, and things look a little different.
4: Yeah, and that plus Justin, I'm going to link in the show notes to your video because it's something that people should really take a look at because it wasn't just the use of the words. And, you know, we all sort of share that love for Disney, but there was something about the way you portrayed it, uh, like I said, that I think really made your videos stand out as one of the, the exceptional ones. And that's why out of those 1,300 applicants you know you get the call you get the call you make it to the next round tell me about what getting that call from disney was like and then what the next few rounds were were like for you
2: um, every step of the process I was I was shocked honestly I I'm one of those people who submitted my video and then and then jumped onto the website and watched almost all 1300 other other videos I think over the course of a couple of weeks because I was really interested in, in getting to know other Disney fans and seeing what their passions were and there are some incredibly talented incredibly gifted creative passionate people out there and I, and I watched these videos and I said there are so many people who are deserving and, you know, would be fantastic in this role. So I, I legitimately, I, you know, I didn't get my hopes up when I, when I got the call from the marketing firm that was handling the calls that I made it into the top 20, I was thrilled. I, I thought, man, that's awesome. It, I, somebody watched my videos. Somebody liked my video. I've at least been seen. Somebody somewhere knows my name. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so I was just thrilled to be at that step uh, of the game and, um, the next, the next part of the process involved an interview. And, and honestly, my initial kind of goal I set for myself, I, I'd set up front, if I get the chance to make the top 20 and have a 30 minute phone interview with a representative from Disney, um, that's my prize. I will get the opportunity to talk to somebody, share my passion, ask, ask them some questions, and just engage in, 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 in a real live conversation with somebody about working at Disney. And I kind of set that as my goal. So when it went beyond that, I really, I really was very surprised. Um, I got the same phone call from, fortunately, the same woman who became very good friends with mine. Actually, I still have, um, <laughs> still have both of her voicemails saved on my, uh, on my <laughs> cell phone, just because I don't want to delete them yet. Um, so when she called and said that I'd made the top 10, um, again, I, I, was, I was floored by the opportunity. Um, and as you know, and as many of your listeners know, I'm sure that the voting phase, which was a three-week frenzy, uh, you know, voting amongst the top 10 candidates. Um, was just an absolute rush. it was it was incredible. and I had myself convinced again, you know what? this is great. Don't get your hopes up. You made the top ten. Disney fans out there are watching your videos. You're getting a lot of great feedback from people, but you know, let's be realistic about it. So um, <laughs> when I found out that I made the top three, still, I am still working on, on trying to describe exactly how that felt.
4: Yeah, I could imagine, you know, now knowing, okay, this is really taking it to, the next level and the feeling must have been indescribable so tell us now you're in the top three with the other two guys with Ronald and David tell us about what happens now and what that last part of the competition entailed that actually took place in Walt Disney World
2: yeah it did last Wednesday the 16th um, we flew down I got a chance to meet uh Ronald who goes by trip and uh, and david and i, I got to be honest with you, I want to give them a, a shout out because I hope that they're that they 're listening. They are fantastic guys they're awesome fathers, and being able to share this experience with them and see them and interact with them made it even that much better. I mean it really was an incredible experience to share with them um, so we get down there on a Wednesday night and um, they put us up at the Yacht Club Resort, which was wonderful because I am uh, normally a value resort kind of budget, so <laughs> I loved that opportunity. Um, and we, uh, we went out to dinner with a bunch of members of the Disney team who were going to be producing the web uh, you know, videos and who were working on the in-park promotions and all of those kinds of aspects of the competition. We had dinner together. We got an outline for what was coming up for us in the, in the competitions. We got to ask some silly questions and answer some silly questions and just really engage in, in a lot of fun. And it was probably the most creative and energetic dinner meeting I've ever been a part of. I mean, the people, just everyone there just, just poured this excitement out of them. Um, then we moved on to the contests, two, two straight days, Thursday and Friday, two long days, but two days that, looking back on them now, went way too quickly um, uh, of contests in the parks where we got to interact with guests, we got to be on main street right before the parade in the afternoon, uh you know, and interact with the crowds. I got to to meet some members of the dream squad. Uh, just the list of things that they allowed us to do were just it's just absolutely incredible. I'm still in shock <laughs> of how much they let us do.
4: <laughs> yeah, and watching the videos, I was so excited for the three of you guys because I could only imagine how much fun that had to have been but there really was a competition aspect of it as well and it was in three parts and there was a stroller derby face painting and Sonia made me proud a, a, a trivia contest of overall Disney theme park knowledge I'm sure that Disney World Trivia website and trivia books came in very very handy I'm just kidding of I was course.
0: Just gonna say,
2: if if, uh, if anybody if you'd like a plug if this is where I could I could give one for you no 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 I have no I absolutely I you know I've you know I have spent time on on the website I own both of the books I'm a rabid Disney reader, um, so and that kind of became apparent <laughs> that I've I've absorbed a lot of information about Disney because it's it's just that fascinating to me. Um, so I'm glad glad I made you proud. That's good.
4: I was. I'm sitting there watching. him going, my boy, He's making me proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But what about the other two? I mean, the 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 stroller derby and the the towel folding and everything else. Did you know what was coming ahead of time and practice or do they kind of just spring this on you?
2: We uh, we got a phone call. um, I'd say I I don't remember exactly when I think it was about a week before we left um, to go down there with the details saying, "Okay, these are the five events. Main, you know main events that we were anticipating right now, things are subject to change, but you know probably going to do a stroller derby, probably going to have you fold some towels like little towel animals, probably going to have you see which you know which person can get the crowd to make the most noise, so we were able to sort of get the juices flowing on the ideas ahead of time, but the specifics and how they were actually going to play out we really didn 't get until you know until the day of um, I did because again i 'm a I'm a little bit of a dork, and I'm very familiar with my local bookstore. <laughs> I went and bought a book on towel folding because, you know, say I said, you know, maybe these guys are pros at this. I wanted to at least, uh, you know, feel like I'd practiced. So <laughs> um, we had a little time to prepare, but not a whole lot.
4: Right. So now you go through the competition, which, and now you have to wait. You know, the waiting process begins until Tuesday, April 22nd. Tuesday morning, the announcement's made in the Plaza Rose Garden in in Walt Disney World. Uh, That video was online as well. I suggest people go and see it. Uh, You know, to ask you if you were in shock is probably the silliest question of all. I have to say I give you credit because had it been me, I would have been, you know, weeping like a schoolgirl. But what, I mean, when they finally pull it off and they reveal it, what are you thinking? Um, Shock,
2: honestly, is is the best word I can use right now. I really was in awe at the moment. Um, It's just, it was an incredibly beautiful scene. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. The park is practically empty it's a crystal blue sky you know the the cinderella's castles you know your backdrop you have got the rose bushes around you mickey and donald are there they're shooting confetti in the air you know the whole thing when it kind of plays back in the movie reel that's inside my head (laughs) um it plays back in slow motion either in silence or with one of those like really sweeping you know orchestral scores in the background but it um i was just i was floored i couldn't believe that this was was really Actually happening that we'd we'd gotten to that point uh, and that was really my name. Um, I, I was I was just in shock and I'm still not entirely sure that I've you know that it, that it's really hit me. I don't think I've come back down just yet.
4: I'm sure and I have a feeling you probably won't come down uh, you know until next May when when your tenure is over.
2: But what I was happen- going to say I I got 12 more months of flying high on this
4: one. So. <laughs> exactly. So tell me what happens next. Uh, you know the announcements made. You know, do they do they pull you aside and say, "Okay, you know here it goes. This is what your first assignment's going to be. This is what your training's going to be." What happened after the announcement?
2: Uh, well, fortunately, uh, you know I had the chance to uh, to talk to both Tripp and david and and congratulate them and and thank them for being a part of it. Uh, got to spend a little time with my my family. They were very gracious about letting us take a lot of pictures, <laughs> you know and and really really kind of embrace the moment. Um, and then, uh, actually, because of the way the schedule worked out, um, since I am uh, officially a cast member of the Disney Parks, and, you know, a, a part-time uh, cast member that will be working out of Walt Disney World and Disneyland throughout the next 12 months, I, uh, I got swept off right away and by 9 o'clock that morning was in traditions class uh, at the Disney University. So it, it did kind of move pretty quickly from there.
4: Wow, I, I'm I'm smiling when you said that because I could just imagine what that must. I mean, what that must have been like. I mean, have you always sort of dreamed of being a cast member, or did you ever kind of look back and say, "God, I wish I would have gone and done the college program or done a summer down there"?
2: Oh, I, the, the, not doing the college program is, is one of my many <laughs> many regrets for that point in my life. Um, and honestly, I was really very very close uh, in 2002. To, uh, to just picking up and moving down there. I'd gone down, I'd, I'd interviewed in the casting office, and I'd, I, I'd said, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I came back up to Pennsylvania to, to pack up my stuff and get ready to move. I had about a two week window between apartment leases. And circumstances in my life changed very suddenly. And, and I stayed here and it worked out exactly the way it was supposed to. <laughs> so I got a great job here. And I met my wife and I did all these things. But that little, that little dream, that nugget of saying, I want to be a cast member, I want to work for Disney, never left me. And six years later, it's, it's been fulfilled. So it's pretty incredible.
4: Yeah, I definitely think everything worked out just, just the way you had planned it, exactly.
2: It, well, yeah, you know, this is really how I had it mapped out. You
4: know. <laughs> so, but what, do you know, I mean, if you can say what the next 12 months are going to hold for you, you know, what your first assignment's going to be or how, you know, what are you going to be doing?
2: Um, I there's a lot that I can tell you a lot that I can't tell you and that's not out of a lack of desire to tell you I, a lot of it I, I don't know we're kind of figuring it out as you know as we go um, I can tell you that um, hopefully I'll be able to make eight trips um, there are four trips that that are kind of required as fulfillment for, for winning the position and then other optional trips. And, and I'm going to take them up on any optional offer <laughs> I can. Um, I'm not turning anything down at this point. Um, and, uh, I, I can tell you my, my very first assignment is coming up in just a couple of weeks, May 13th. i will be flying back down to Walt Disney world where I will get to participate in some pretty special events and be a part of some unique things. And I don't want to say anything or give anything away, but people who, uh, read your website and listen in often might know of a certain attraction in a certain Florida park that might be opening in that time frame so wow
4: good for you that that must be amazing now but now obviously you have to leave your home and I assume that you have a real job up here if <laughs> I could ask I have a home. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you do and how are you kind of going to be able to, to balance your real job versus responsibilities is your employer you know okay with this are they Disney fans
2: um, my 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 work environment up here in Pennsylvania is uh, is absolutely fantastic. I'm a director of music and fine arts for a church, uh, and it's a, it's a fantastic community of people that really embraced this entire process. They they rallied behind me. They voted for me. They threw voting parties when I was away and couldn't be there. And and even this morning. Uh, you know, my first Sunday back since the trip, uh, they showed the, the winning the video from, uh, from Tuesday morning, the you know, announcement ceremony at, at the start of our worship services this morning. So they've really been incredible about embracing it. Everyone is thrilled. Um, you know, I still sit down and work out some of the details about the vacation time and the travel time and, and how to cover responsibilities when I'm not there. Um, but I really could not have asked for a, for a um, more supportive environment. It's you know they've they've been incredible and that makes it you know that takes a big big burden off. I'm not worried about you know sweating those details out.
4: All right, that's great. And, and like I said, Justin, clearly you have a passion for Disney that really came through. And and the Disney Company must be very very happy and proud of their selection, along with the all the people that cast more than two hundred thousand votes for you um, along the way. I really want to congratulate you. Tell you how happy I am for you. Wish you all the luck and success, and really savor every second uh, along the way.
2: Oh, I, I I promise you, I will do that, and um, I really appreciate your your kind words. It's been incredible, and I I know that when when I, I got in this position, the really neat thing about this job is it's not about me; it's about all of the dreams that I'll get the chance to see come true. And the really cool thing there is we can take other people's dreams, you know, with us, and we can hopefully inspire the people that we know and the people we interact with to keep those dreams going. So um, I'm I'm thrilled to represent all of the Disney fans that I've had the chance to meet already, and I I can't wait to get started. And I'm hoping that at some point, you and I will be down at the same time and we can actually cross paths.
4: I will make sure of it. And please, Justin, keep in touch with me. I'd love for you to let us know about your adventures and your experiences along the way, and you have an open invitation to come back anytime and keep us updated.
2: Hey, that that I will take you up on.
4: Absolutely. Like I said, I will put links in this week's show notes to all of Justin's videos, as well as the Disney CMO website. Justin Machoni, Disney's first chief magic official. Congratulations, my friend.
2: Thank you so much, Lou. It's been a pleasure.
4: Thank you. In the last couple of months, I've had occasion to visit Walt Disney World during a time of year that I normally don't visit, including during spring break and around major holidays like Easter. And let me tell you, it's a very different experience than traveling to Walt Disney World during, say, the first week in December for a number of different reasons. And that actually led to a discussion with both Jeff Pepper and George Taylor, not just about the differences between going. During the busy season and less crowded times of the year, but what some of the pros and cons are, and maybe what's most important in our eyes. So what I wanted to do was invite them both onto the show to have a sort of roundtable discussion about just that topic. So I want to welcome back two guys who are more than just self-proclaimed Disney geeks and handsome faces to their adoring fans, Jeff and George. Welcome, fellas. Thanks, (laughs) Lou. It's like Disneyland all over again. (laughs) but anyway let's let's i want to start off by saying that for many many years uh, i've always said that i would avoid visiting walt disney world not just during the summer months but during some of the busiest times of the year like easter and of course I, i now find myself in walt disney world almost more than i'm home and this past easter season was a very interesting experience and like i said both of you commented to me about the pros and cons of going sort of on-season versus, quote-unquote, off-season. But before we get into the pluses and minuses, I think we really need to clarify for people what these seasons are. What do we mean when we're talking about on-season and off-season in terms of times of the year and dates? So when we talk about on-season, obviously we're talking about times like this summer, major holidays like Thanksgiving, uh, other really, really busy times are Christmas through New Year's, a couple of weeks around Easter, President's Day, Martin Luther King's birthday, and spring break. Uh, and now that spring break season, and I'm sure you guys can attest to, that seems to be getting longer and longer. Because I, I know, for example, this year, the Northeast uh, spring break was timed very differently than, say, the mid-Atlantic areas. It was a lot later, so that spring break season sort of really extended a bit.
5: Yeah, we were surprised. Uh, our kids, Jeff and our kids, are in the same school system. And so we had the same spring break this year, which was the week after you were there and the week after most people's school breaks were. And the week we were there, we saw differing crowd levels all the time. And even talking to some cast members, they were shocked at the level of the crowds that had been there the week before, right after Easter break. It's a lot more people there.
4: Yeah, I was very surprised when I went. And I had gone a couple weeks after Easter. I had never seen The Magic Kingdom, for example, so crowded as the one evening that I had gone. Where Town Square, you really couldn't even move through. Uh, There wasn't much room to even get around. I mean, we basically walked in around 8.30, saw what we could of Spectrum Magic from a distance and and left because it was that crowded.
6: Yeah, and it's like you said, Lou. The the thing is, is when you're talking about off-season versus on-season, you know, people... Even those that are just casually just going to Disney World like once a year, once every few years, when they're planning their trips, they are kind of making assumptions. And you have to be very, very careful because what the, what we consider the off season, to which extent Disney labels at the off season, you talk about things like, say, September, late August through the end of the year and then into January, February. But you have to watch because there are certain things that keep popping up more and more now that used to not be very traditionally crazy and now they are and like you mentioned Martin Luther King weekend in January, um, President's Day weekend in February, Um, it seems that anything that can possibly be be a three-day weekend that can even then people attack a a vacation day or personal day onto to extend it, those are driving crowds and it's taking a lot of people by surprise because even though they know it's a holiday weekend, they're just not assuming extreme crowd levels, and some of those levels are getting very, very extreme at those times.
4: Exactly, and there, there are some times that you want to talk about the, the most extreme of the crowd levels. You know, you're talking basically the couple of days before Christmas to January, to December 31st, uh, President's Day, the f- February 15th through the 17th, Easter week from about mid-March to the 25th, 27th, uh, even really middle of February through middle of March, uh, obviously July 4th, Thanksgiving weekend, again, I, I mean, you want to talk about, and we'll talk about cost later on, but expensive and crowded, in some cases, very, very hot. Um, those are the extreme ends of, of busy, busy on-season. Yeah,
5: when, you, when you're when you talking about the seasons, I can remember going on trips past when you would hit late September, late May, and walk on everything. And I think, you know, the the, the guests are so much more uh, sophisticated now and they they're doing so much more research they are you know this quote-unquote off season doesn't really exist like it used to it's just not as busy as the peak holidays and i just think that's a fact of life now so many people are researching it and learning about it listening to an awesome podcast this one i'll say that. Get the check in the mail and you know it just it just it just snowballs so to speak
6: well, yeah, and I think what, what spurred a lot of our discussions, I know George and I were discussing it a lot because we were down there that same week um, last month and then just you and I when we were talking about it, Lou, is that there's so many factors now coming into play that are impacting the quality of your vacation um, either direction. If you, if you choose to go in the off season, if you choose to go in September, you know there are benefits and everybody like George just mentioned you know used to have the mindset that oh you're just you're not gonna have the crowds you know it's gonna be a much more relaxed experience the rates are cheaper and there are so many there are are so many advantages in that regard that are starting to evaporate a little bit but at the same time I don't think people were all always as clear about the disadvantages and unfortunately the disadvantages are beginning to kind of rear up and be more significant and so it's, it's almost like you when you talk about when you want to go, you really have to sort of quantify very specific things. And um, one of the things that kind of spurred us this year to go in the spring, uh, we avoided, like you said, we avoided the spring and the summer for probably over 10 years now. Um, our children, uh, when they were preschoolers, we were, we were able to go in the fall. And then we were lucky to be in a school system that had consistent fall breaks, usually at the end of September, beginning of October. And we thought, okay, this is ideal. And that's how we always wanted to do it. And we just, we avoided summer and spring. And it's reached a point where, as many people know, the school systems are getting just militant about giving you time off if you want to pull the kids out of school. And it's become fairly controversial as to, you know, whether you should do it or not. And so we finally just said, look, we've got to go in the spring. And we, our personal experience was that we truly, truly enjoyed our week despite the disadvantages of the heavier crowds, we saw so many things positive that we hadn't really experienced on the off-season trips.
4: Yeah, and just, you know, by way of reference, the quote-unquote off-season traditionally has always been the week after Thanksgiving to the week before Christmas, uh, very early to mid-November, September after Labor Day, pretty much all of October and, and a lot of the other times throughout the year that aren't around holidays. Now, like you said. There's a lot of other things that are coming into play, whether they be special events or parties or changes in uh, times of breaks, things like that, other incentives that bring people down that are making that off-season kind of go away. I mean, February through April has always been somewhat of a gamble. Now, I think even more so. Now, later on in the fall, you've got special events, you've got all kinds of promotions that Disney is coming out with. Um, So there's a lot more to consider, and to a certain degree... It's somewhat of a crapshoot, maybe.
5: Well, even a, a crapshoot when, you know, you have two families, like Jeff's family and my family, that went down, and we had almost two different completely experiences, uh, two different completely experiences because of our party. You know, Jeff's got two teenage boys, and I was actually with a party of nine people all together, which is a hard thing to move. So there's so many issues, even while you're there, if if it is crowded, if, you know, you've got some mobility issues, and, you know, it can it can make a... I put a completely different spin on your trip.
6: Yeah, one of the things that we discovered um, that was kind of the positive side of it is that we found that we're very traditionally park hoppers. Um, We like to start in one park, typically head somewhere in the afternoon, possibly another park, or possibly shopping, go off prop, or I mean, go to the resorts or whatever, or go back and swim, and then head back to a park in the evening. And that truly is, you know, the, the, the one of the premier strategies for the busiest times of the year and because that was a part of our routine very distinctly it fit very well into that week whereas I know George you mentioned that you know you were you were going you weren't dealing with park hopping so you were forced to stay in the parks as the crowd swelled throughout the afternoon and then you know by early evening when things might have been kind of you know slowing back down again and being a little bit more easier going as everybody was worn out and ready to go
5: Oh yeah, when um, when we travel just as a family, it's a lot easier. And you know, I know my boys; I know what their uh, what their limits are. When you're taking a larger group of people that haven't been there before, and you've got issues like, you know, how do you get nine people from the Magic Kingdom over to Epcot without you know killing each other? It can make a big difference to it. And we found once we were there, if we could get everybody up and get ready and be in the parks first thing at rope drop, it was astounding how we almost had two to three hours in the parks with low lines. The moment you had that lunchtime period, it was over, and the yeah. lines just swelled.
6: Yeah, and, that's, and that is a really good point, and that's one of the things that really surprised me is because we anticipated it was this was a peak season, we just assumed that from, you know, from 9 o'clock on, it was just going to be a nightmare, that you know, once, once the floodgates opened, and you really do truly, even in very, very busy days, you have a good two to three hour window there where you can get an enormous amount of things accomplished and not even necessarily be using, be using fast pass to its, its, its maximum advantage.
4: Exactly. And that's one of the, the pros that I wanted to mention about going on season is that for the most part, I think the parks don't get really busy until the afternoon. But again, one of the advantages of going on season is that the parks are open very, very long hours. I mean, sometimes the park is open till 12, 1, 3 o'clock in the morning. So even it'll kind of balance the uh, long crowds and the long waits with how much time, how much more time you have to spend in the parks. And, yeah, we had, uh, good go
5: <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I had a, <laughs> I had a coworker that had to go the week before, the week that you were there, Lou. And she came back and told me that, you know, they waited 180 minutes for test track because that was their teenage girls. That was their favorite thing. But because they had a different, um, age group of kids they were able to stay in the magic kingdom one night till almost two o'clock and take advantage and they said that last hour is where they saw the uh, the, the times drop on a lot of the attractions <laughs> so yeah taking advantage of those extended hours is is one thing but you got to be ready to go all night you know throw caffeine down there and keep it going
6: well th- there were some really noticeable things Lou that just really stuck out to me from the week there that just i had not anticipated and and again this was just this was my experience and i don't you know you guys can kind of jump in and say you know if, I'm, if this is isolated or if it's more broad but one of the, a few of the things i noticed were that restaurants weren't nearly as crazy and it's because at the peak or seasons they have more restaurants open and they have them open more extended hours whereas when you go at um off season they have less restaurants open and everybody kind of you know funnels into those and they bottleneck And we found that our food choices were much more, you know, extensive and that the wait times and even the the restaurants weren't as crowded. There was one particular day when we were at the Backlot Express in the studios and it started pouring down rain and it was dinner time. And even though people rushed in to get out of the rain, the restaurant still was not jammed. It was very relaxed, um, not very, you know, not extremely crowded. And the wait times weren't very long. And I think that's, that's one of those things that I think people don't realize that Disney expands their resources during these peak times. And so a lot of things that you automatically think are going to be very wacky aren't going to be wacky. I mean, everybody seems to focus so much on wait times that they sort of don't necessarily focus on a lot of the other things that sort of create just comfort factors and sort of low stress that are there.
4: Right, and, that, and I was actually going to speak to that next about the restaurants, because when I came back from this last trip, restaurants like El Parada y El Perico was open, which normally will not be open probably during some of the down times. You'll also find some of the little carts, like the egg roll cart in Adventureland, not always open all year. It had a line, and, and that actually, Jeff, I had a somewhat different experience, because I think if you try and go during the peak lunch hours, for example. I'll use my experience at Pecos Bill. The lines for Pecos Bill were literally out onto the sidewalk of Frontierland, and they had every register open. They had actually shut down the uh, self-service little, little kiosks and were taking orders to try and expedite the process. There wasn't really a lot of places to sit. They had cast members directing people here and there. So that's something, you know, if you're planning, you want to eat your lunch at 12, 1230 every day, you've got starving kids that is something you probably want to just take into consideration.
5: Yeah, when uh, we had made our preparations for the trip and I talked to the other couple that went with us, I was like, you know, we're not going to do a lot of sit-down meals because of the dining package. It's going to be hard to get into them. And we would eat mostly at counter service. Uh, one time it just happened to end up, we were at the Columbia Harbor House at right at 12. And I said, you know, let's just go inside. We're all hungry. Let's see what we got hit an open line, got the food, went upstairs, and within 10 minutes, they had cast members blocking people from going up the stairs because there was no seating. They weren't letting people come back down. The same thing when we crossed over Fantasyland into uh, Tomorrowland, stopped by um, Cosmic Rays, and I've never seen this before. They had a cast member outside the door, and people lined up, guests lined up after the cast member, waiting for people to come out before they let him in. And it was 1230 Twelve forty-five, right on the dot, which is also a great time to ride when everybody else is eating lunch. <laughs> uh,
6: I, uh, then I have another interesting observation to make because I'm just—it's—it's kind of trying to decipher how this goes because our comparison recently was we were down Martin Luther King Day weekend and that it, that weekend we had a good time and we did everything that we wanted to do, but it was very very crowded and. Um, ADR's counter um, ADR's were just like impossible Uh, we we tried to make two to three ADR's we couldn't get anything close to the times and the one ADR we finally did take because we really wanted to eat at the restaurant was Boma and we ended up eating at 930 at night and this time when we were there the week after Easter um, totally different experience I mean I, I literally you know we were in Epcot and wanted to do lunch at Tepaneto. I got on my cell phone called and had a, had a reservation for an hour later. And there was just a very distinct difference there, you know. And, like, again, that surprised me because I was expecting the ADRs to be practically impossible that week as well, and they weren't.
4: Yeah, that was the – you know, when we were talking about restaurants, that was the other thing I wanted to mention was if you are going to go during one of these busy times a year, um, it's not a con, but you've got to make those ADRs, you know, as close to 180 days out as possible. And some people say, well, I don't know where I'm going to want to eat when – 180 you know six months before I go but unfortunately it's just a fact of the way things are that you're going to have to do at especially if you want to eat at some of the more popular restaurants
6: but the thing is then that's also significant now year round because the ADRs have become problematic in the off season because of the free dining promotions and then again these kind of just when they put certain restaurants you know they close certain restaurants down for rehabs you know, like they did with Tepanito and the Italian restaurant, you know, that's cutting down the amount of seating and it's forcing the other restaurants to pick up the slack. And so there's so many factors like that to make that problematic, you know, at the, at the slower times.
4: True. I mean, walk-ups during certain times of the year are, are just, you know, they, they'll laugh at you if you go up and ask if there's a walk-up for some of these restaurants during the busier times of the year. But you're right, Jeff, about um, because of the promotions and because of just how things are getting relatively crowded all year round. But the other thing that you have to keep in mind about going on season and obviously specifically only to a certain point is the weather. Um, If you're going to go in even May or or April and May, and certainly in the summer season, you know, it's hot and it's not just kind of hot. It's blazingly hot and and very humid. Um, And and that's something for a lot of people you need to take into consideration as well.
6: And again, that's where the, um, the touring kind of strategies come into play. And it kind of comes back to that sort of the morning-evening dynamic where, you know, you get in, get in in the morning, head out in the afternoon when it's the hottest and then go swimming, do something, you know, get inside, go shopping in the cool air, and then head back out once the sun goes down and it cools off. But yeah, if you're on those particular times of the year, if you're out there between noon and six o'clock, you're going to melt.
5: Yeah, you got to make sure you've got that time, just a downtime for your whole group for one thing to do something else and take a break, recharge those batteries. You almost need to reset yourself so you can head back out and and see all the fireworks and hit all the attractions as well.
4: Yeah, and that's when obviously going back to resort, using the pool or even going to the water parks or whatever for a day uh, is important to keep in mind. But let's use the weather and kind of segue into talking about going off-season because in the quote-unquote off-season months, that's usually where you're going to find better weather but there are other advantages to going, not just because of the weather. Uh, for the most part, for argument's sake, let's just say that there are less people in the parks. There's are shorter lines. The prices are a lot better, and we're going to talk about the, the how money plays into it. But there's also other things going on, too. There's different events, different promotions going on to get you there, whether it be Flower and Garden Festival or Food and Wine, that give you maybe another reason to go, without having the extended hours or going in the peak seasons.
5: Yeah, it does give you the opportunity going off-season just to do so many other things. Uh, spend a lot of time at Downtown Disney or do some resort hopping if you have the ability. Uh, not just because you are going to spend a lot less time in the parks because there's just a lot less time available to you. So you really have to think about other things to do besides sitting in the hotel room and staring at each other.
4: Yeah, and and you know, while we talk about all the advantages of going off-season, I think there are a lot, you know, you've got the weather, you've got the cheaper prices, you've got more accessibility to things, you've got shorter lines, there are a lot of cons that you need to take into consideration as well, and one thing that people might not realize, especially if they are not familiar with how the the park calendars work, is that the parks may open late and close very early. I mean, early being 6 or 7 o'clock at night, and now you no longer have 8 a.m. to midnight, you've got you know, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., which uh, sort of balances having those longer lines versus shorter lines.
5: Yeah, when you, uh, Jeff was talking about that earlier, just having the ability to, you know, jump in and out it, with the shortened hours, it, you have a lot less time to park hop. You know, if you go to one park and it's a lot more crowded, and you want to see something else. Uh, time is such a huge factor while you're there for the week or however long you can stay. And uh, just the fact that you know the lines are going to be shorter, you might experience more. You have a lot less time to spend there. The shows, uh, the fireworks may not go every night. Exactly. So there's a lot of things to look that, out when you're planning for it.
6: That's what was really significant to us, um, going in the spring, um, as opposed to the fall when we usually went. Is that we felt we got to do more. Um, when you go down, you know, in in the uh, fall season, you know, for instance at Magic Kingdom, you're only looking at possibly two nights of the week, typically Saturday Sunday where they're running the parades and they're doing the fireworks and the rest of the, the times they're usually typically, as Lou said, closing at seven o'clock. And even with, when we were down there, even with, you know, them doing Pirate and Princess a couple of the nights, we still had so much more opportunity to spend at the Magic Kingdom. And so we got to do more, um, even though we might have waited in lines. You know, we might have been, you know, our kind of rule of thumb is that we, we typically won't wait in a line that's longer than a half an hour. And even with waiting in some lines that ran anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, if we weren't able to get fast passes or whatever, we still felt that we were maximizing our vacation and doing much more than we ever had done on a fall trip because of just simply the, the availability of the hours being extended, you know, because on top of that, you did have your extra magic hours for staying on property. And, you know, just the fact that you didn't have, you know, we, we, we didn't take advantage of the two in the morning stuff because we we're all dead at midnight. But just the <laughs> fact that we were able to stay till midnight was, a, is that's five hours longer than any time that we've been able to stay in the Magic Kingdom going to fall. So that's that's a lot more. And the other thing that you can do, I think one of the things that there's so much that you can do in the parks, in, uh, there are so many attractions, I, I guess I'm trying to say, is that don't have the long lines. I mean, everybody focuses on the headliners. There are always a significant number of attractions that you can do that have minimal weights, like the uh, the Transit Authority in Tomorrowland. You pretty much Mickey's Filler Magic is always a walk on unless, you know, you're you're at very, very extreme times of the year. So it it the extended hours just makes a big, big difference.
4: Yeah, and it well, it plays into how you have to prepare too, because some of the shows, like you guys mentioned, like Spectrum Magic, like Fantasmic, might only run a couple of nights a week. So now you have to Make sure that you are in the right park on the right day, especially if you're only going for maybe three, four days, if you want to experience those shows. And lest we forget, too, that during the off-season, attractions might also be down for refurb. And it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a couple days here and there. But for that family that goes off-season and Haunted Mansion is down or Pirates are down or their favorite attraction is down, that can be very disappointing.
6: You, yeah, you made I mean, a good point there Lou because um, the thing is is like when you only run Phantasmic two nights a week or SpectroMagic one night a week then you can guarantee that crowds are going to be driven right to that night so Magic Kingdom on a Saturday night is going to be a mob scene over and above just what the normal crowd levels are but then you have everybody heading there because it's their only opportunity to catch those specific shows or the fireworks that entire week.
5: Yeah, Jeff, when you were talking earlier about how your family was touring and what you would wait for, um, when you listen to Lou's show and all the voicemails and the, and the people that call in, for a lot of people, this is a one trip every three years, or this is their trip of a lifetime, and they don't have the luxury of, of you know have, having been there 20 times and knowing everything. That's a big part even going on or off season, because if you go during the busy season and you're a veteran, you know you've been 30 times. You're going to take it slower. You're going to look for things. You're going to have a completely different trip than somebody who hasn't been in five years. I think once again that goes back to what you're talking about with the research, and you know, and Lou, you were talking about, you know, making sure you nail down exactly what you know what you want to do as well in advance for making those ADRs and you know, getting your schedule down because that can make a big difference in your trip.
4: Yeah, and when you we start talking about the economics of it too, because. There are shorter hours because there really is less time to enjoy the attractions. Because some of these attractions might be closed, or if you go in January, one of the one of the water parks might be closed. When you talk about the the bang for the buck factor, it might not be as appealing as it is because the ticket prices stay the same. The resort prices might differ, but your ticket price is always going to remain the same. It's not going to vary uh, depending on when you go. So that's just something you need to consider as well. And the big issue for a lot of people, anybody with families, and we kind of just danced around it briefly, uh, maybe because of the controversy that surrounds it, like Jeff alluded to, is taking your kids out of school. Obviously, it's a huge pro if you're going off-season because the kids are going to be off for the summer, they're going to have off for spring break or winter break, whatever it might be. Taking them in the off-season, chances are their school is in session, and this could really be a separate discussion for a separate show. Again, because there is such a controversy, because people are so passionate about it, I think that you need to do what is best for you and your family. Take into account the age of the kids, the level of education, what their school is like, how they feel about it. Um, I mean, when I, me personally, when I was a kid, my parents took me out of school. Um, I was always given assignments to do. Uh, I did them in the car and, and back at the room like any good dork would do. Um, and me personally, I actually read ahead. Like I would read a couple of chapters ahead. God, no wonder why I never dated. I would read a couple of chapters ahead in my books so I wasn't playing catch up when I got back. But again, I, that's not me trying to dictate. You need to do, and you guys have kids too, you need to do what works for you.
5: Yeah, there's there's a lot of political issues that you know with your, your local school system and what you can and can't do. And I think you know, with Jeff and I, with our families having the kids in the same system, we we saw that this 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 past year. And I know we're both looking forward to our first fall break, and you know, the middle of October, end of October, early November. There's like five days kids have, have off school. Uh, my wife is a, a seasoned veteran of visiting the theme parks, and she knows what's going on. This last trip in April really got to her, and she vowed she would take the kids out of school whether or not the principal wanted us to and just to enjoy the less 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 crowds and the heat, you know, going in the off season. But you're right, Lou, it's 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 a personal decision that only you can make and you could probably have a couple of screaming and yelling matches you know, still See,
6: not and to the counterpoint and that's and than a little bit we anticipated it being so much more worse because of just it being peak season going. That we discovered that it was very adaptable and very easy to work with. And we scheduled another trip in June when the kids are out of school again. And we don't anticipate big problems there as well. I mean, it's it was just and and because at least from our standpoint with the school stuff, it has become such a such a headache. Um, for to, to pull the kids out, it, it turns into such such an issue with teachers and the administrations at the schools that we found that we were, we felt that we were just really worrying too much about getting there in the fall when we still had a very good vacation in the, in during the busier times.
4: Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of wrap that point up, it's going to, it is so personal depending on your school and what, what you are comfortable with. But one of the things I think that we, we have to talk about when we talk about going on season versus off season, is cost. And again, park tickets for the most part are going to remain consistent. But Disney really has its own set of quote-unquote seasons at its resort hotels. And we're just going to specifically speak about staying on property because there will be differences in the prices of your room based on when you go. There's a value season, there's a regular season, there's a summer season, there's even a peak season, and a holiday season. So if you want to save money on when you go, that's when you need to look in as well. And obviously, you know the off season is going to be the least expensive. Uh, and we can talk about some comparable rates. And there's also, and I'll post these on the site, believe it or not, the seasons for each level of resort vary depending on the on the resort. So for example, for a valley resort, quote unquote regular season is March thirtieth through may twenty first and then again in October, November. But for a deluxe resort, it's March 30th through July 19th. It's far extended. And for a campsite at Fort Wilderness, it's for March 30th through August 2nd. So, again, when you're talking about the economics of it, you really need to look very carefully or call your travel agent or call Disney and see what's going to work best for you dollar-wise.
5: Yeah, that even pulls through with uh, my family. We're Disney Vacation Club members, and, you know, they're they're a little more... uh what they call their seasons. They have the adventure season season, which of course is the cheapest for your points that you can spend on your accommodations. They have the adventure, the choice, the dream, the magic, and the premiere. And the premiere is March 16th through the 29th, December 24th through the 31st. So again, it follows the same as the rest of the resorts, but they have one week out of the month will be an adventure and the rest will be a choice or a dream. So they're following the same calendars. Um, with your points as well. so
4: Yeah, and just by way of example, uh, let's talk about real dollar figures that we're talking about. So, for example, for a value resort, during the value season, a standard view would be about $82 for during the week. Sunday through Thursday nights would be $10 more. It's $92. During the holiday season, that goes up to $129. And for one of the family suites, for example, over at uh, All Star Music, that jumps from 184 up to 315. So you're talking about a really significant change. For moderates, that can be um, less uh, pronounced depending on when you go. A standard view during value season is 149, regular is 165, uh, peak is 189 up to 199, and holiday is up to 205. So it could be an additional $50 per night um, depending on when you go.
6: Well, that's a good point with the value seasons, Lou, but again, and not to, you know, kind of keep belaboring it, but when you go and you you might be very, very focused on getting the most inexpensive rate you can, but you really do have to weigh out the quality, of the vacation you're going to get as well as we talked about with the, um, you know, the limited hours, you know, attractions being down. So it's, it's a trade-off and consider it not so much a value that, you know, the room, is going to be the the deal-maker, I guess, when there are other things that you need to take into consideration.
4: No, Jeff, and that's exactly the point, is that the reason why we did this segment is because there are so many things you need to take into consideration, and it goes above and beyond just school and cost and everything like that. But, you know, you're right. But when you say, for example, the family decides that, you know, they want to go, they want to make it something really special. They want to stay at a place like the Polynesian Well, they go value season, it's around $340 a night. You go during the peak or holiday season, you're talking about almost $200 more per night. So now you're staying a week. That, I mean, increases the cost exponentially. But again, cost is a relative term, and there's things that you have to take into consideration when when you're looking at the cost. And I think to sort of summarize, there really is no right or wrong time to go. And we're certainly not trying to preach... That you should go here or there. We just want to give you some opinions and information to help you plan uh, when you go. And I think, look, no matter when you go, if you go and you are prepared and you've done your research, you're going to have a good time.
5: Yeah, Lou, it, it's that's one thing that my, my brother Andrew always preaches is, you know, a crowded day at Walt Disney World is much better than a day at work. And I tend to agree with that, you know, just spend time do the research before you go so you know what to expect and you know what's going on but just hey you're at Disney World what could be better
4: yeah so obviously your family's schedule and and there's going to be mitigating factors that are going to determine maybe only certain times that you can go so if you if there are those periods that, that you're only able to go whether it's because of work or because of your kids do your research be prepared see what maybe extra events are going on like extra magic hours and pirate party Um, don't be surprised if the park closes early, if that's, if you go off season, um, make your plans and and be prepared. But, uh, guys, I want to thank you for coming on, talking about maybe some of the pros and cons of, uh, on versus off season and real quick, Jeff first, then George, what for you is your ideal time to go?
6: I guess I really, because we had this really good experience this spring, I would say a post, um, Easter I definitely wouldn't want to go Easter week, as, as you testified to that, Lou. But I, I really do kind of like the, the time frame that falls between Easter and towards the end of May. Uh, I've been down a couple times for short trips in May, and I think May is a great, great time, and it doesn't appear that the, um, the hours are um, limited to any great extent. So that's kind of the time frame I'm looking at. And I'm, you know, and I also like we're, we're going back in June uh, potentially to do Star Wars weekend, and I think that'll be a good trip as well.
5: Yeah, I think uh, the premier time, for at least for the, the family going down for us, is probably the first week of December if we can manage to take the kids out of school. They've got the decorations up. The crowds are really, really light. You know, as we talked about, the hours aren't, you know, you don't have as many hours in the park. But with the crowds the way they are, you just can do so much more. And then you've got all evening to, you know, check out the resorts, you know, have some good dinners, do some shopping, and have some good quality family time. Uh, since you probably can't well let me say I'd like to go every single day I guess we'll go with December and you know then stay for MouseFest
4: yay yeah the the first week in December not just because of MouseFest is one of my favorite times of year to go uh, it's value season the weather is nice and cool you get the benefit of the holiday decorations without the crowds uh, I think October is also another really good time of year to go as well uh, there's lots of special events going on there is uh, food and wine, again, the weather is is much better than you're going to get in the middle of the summer, but you can still go and enjoy the water parks and the pools and things like that. So there, there is no bad time of year to go, I think is probably what we would say. <laughs> so guys, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Luke. take just a few minutes and get through some of your emails because I have a lot to get to, and I appreciate your patience in getting these answered on the air. The first one says, Dear Lou, I love your show and have been a faithful listener since shortly after receiving my first iPod this past Christmas. I have a question that I've never seen addressed in any books or podcasts. My husband and I are visiting Walt Disney World in December. This year, with another couple, we're all in our 40s and have no kids. Anyway, the wife and the other couple and I wanted to go to the nightclubs at Pleasure Island and or the boardwalk during our trip and do some dancing, but we have two issues. First, as we mentioned above, we're all older folks and we're hoping that you could recommend a place that played at least a few tunes we could dance to. I noticed one called A tracks that looks like something we'd enjoy, but do people our age actually go there and to the other clubs? Second, none of us drink, and in fact one of us in the group has been an AA for about 15 years. We don't mind places with bars, but we'd like to avoid a spring break type atmosphere with large drunk crowds and waitresses offering us jello shots every five minutes. What are the crowds and vibe like at the various clubs? Are some more our speed than others? I do want to mention that we've traveled to Walt Disney World with this couple before, and the restaurants and cast members could not be nicer or more accommodating about finding out which dishes used wine or liqueur so our friend could avoid them. But we were curious about the clubs. Thanks in advance. And that's Nina from Norristown, Pennsylvania. Nina, thanks for the great question. And first of all, Uh, As someone who's approaching 40, I am telling you that you are not old. Second of all, there is a wide variety of places that you can go and enjoy without the, as you say, drunk spring break crowd, which you really don't find uh, even down in Pleasure Island. Uh, But I'm going to give you a couple of places that you might enjoy that have some great music that you can dance to. Let's start off over at the boardwalk with one of my favorites. That's Jelly Rolls. That's on the boardwalk side. That is a dueling piano bar that also has, uh, you know, a little bit of room that you could dance to. It's a very upbeat place. It's a little bit more of an older, mature crowd. It is adults only, uh, and it is a lot of fun. Also in that area, if you're interested, a lot of people overlook kimonos. That's over at the Swan. That's a very, very nice sushi bar, but they also have karaoke nights uh, some evenings. So if that's something maybe you're looking to do, you could do that as well. It's a little bit less of a bar atmosphere, if that's what you're looking for. Over in downtown Disney, there are a lot of different options that you have. Uh, one that came to mind would probably not be a place like even Atrax. I'd probably recommend something like Raglan Road. Um, it is a restaurant. It's also a bar, but it's a little bit different type of a crowd that you'd get, say, for example, Motions or Mannequin, which are places that I would definitely kind of stay away from based on what you're looking for. Atrax might be a good option. Uh, it sounds like we're of the same sort of age group, and they're going to play that 70s and 80s style. I guess it's old school for kids today, but uh, that type of music. So you're going to get a little bit different type of crowd there. It's probably going to be in the upper 30s, low 40s, um, as opposed to what you get, you know, with the Mannequins, a place like that, you're going to get the 21 crowd. There are other places there as well. You might want to even consider going over to a place like the House of Blues. Uh, they do have live music there, especially on weekends where you can do a little bit of dancing. And along those same lines, there's also Bongo's Cuban Cafe, which is right next door on the west side. There you can also get great food. They have live salsa music, and there is a dance floor that is that can get pretty packed. But again, it's a different type of crowd than what you might get from some of the Pleasure Island clubs. And something else even to consider, too, think about some of the resorts. So, for example, the River Roost over at Port Orleans Riverside. That's a place that next to Boatwright's Dining Hall is the little River Roost Lounge. They have a great menu of appetizers. It's not a place that you feel like that you have to drink, but they also have Yeehaw Bob, and and that's Bob Jackson. He's a piano player that is really nice, and it's it's somebody that appeals to all ages. Uh, You can get up and dance a little bit or sing along with Bob if you want. That's a great alternative as well. But I think that you you really do have a number of choices depending on what you're in the mood for, how much dancing you want to do versus uh, being able to just sit and talk and relax with you know the type of crowd that you're looking for. But whether you go to the Boardwalk or whether you go to downtown Disney, uh, I think you have a wide variety of choices. But if I had to select maybe one or two, I'd probably suggest Jelly Rolls as first and maybe Raglan Road as second. Next email comes from Barbara, a listener in Pennsylvania, who said, Lou, I'm a new listener and emailed you twice already with some comments. Now I have two questions. First of all, I hear you mentioning doing a DSI sometimes. What in the world is a DSI? I've looked on acronyms and didn't find anything that would explain what this is. Second question, on your Animal Kingdom show, you referenced a book, I think, that Joe Rody wrote that explains in detail the imagineering behind Animal Kingdom. I have not been able to find this. Was it a book or incorporated into another book? Your help in finding this would be appreciated. One comment on a reason why I love Walt Disney World. I need a wheelchair to get around due to arthritis. Walt Disney World is the one place I can go where they accommodate so well people with disabilities. The rides are for everyone, no matter what size or what problems you might have. They will stop or slow down the rides so people can get on, and I never have to worry about not fitting into a seat. I love your program, and I'm now going through back some of the old podcasts I've missed, already planning our next trip. Thanks, Barbara. Barbara, all right, first questions first. Again, I apologize when I sometimes... Uh, make reference to things that I take for granted. And DSI is one that, if you haven't listened to the show before, uh, you shouldn't know. That is short for Disney Scene Investigation. That's a segment that I do with Jeff Pepper. He's from 2719 Hyperion, where we really take a long, sometimes very long, detailed look at everything from a resort to an attraction to a queue to a restaurant to a shop to really help bring to focus some of the detail and some of the stories that are so intricately woven that many people overlook to really give you a better appreciation of what the Imagineers have put there to create some of that Disney magic. Uh, Second, the book that you're referring to that I think I I made reference to is called The Making of Disney's Animal Kingdom Theme Park. That's by Melody Malmberg. M-A-L-M-B-E-R-G. I will actually put a link to that in the show notes. And here's a fact that you might not know. She is actually Joe Rody's wife, so she is uh, intimately familiar with the creation of the park. It is a wonderful book. Again, I don't believe it is still available new, but there are many places online that you can find it. Again, it's called The Making of the Disney's Animal Kingdom Theme Park. And thank you for your comments about going to Walt Disney World with some challenges. And this is something that I'm going to cover in detail on the show, but I appreciate you Uh, bringing to light the fact that you appreciate what they do so much and the accommodations that they give to you and everybody else. So, Barb, thanks very much for that email. Next email is from Gloria, who said, Hey, Lou, I was listening to your show on Animal Kingdom, and it made me remember something. I want to say late 90s or early 2000s. I remember leaving Disney's Animal Kingdom and noticing this plant outside the gates. My sister and I were younger at the time, and the plant started talking to me, and if I recall correctly, moving as well. He then asked for some of my water because it was so hot out that day and then made a joke at how expensive the water was at Disney. What my question is, is what was that? I recall a talking bubbler in a trash can, but I haven't seen them in my recent trips. Have they done away with them or did I just miss them? Thanks again. Keep up the great work, Gloria. Gloria, you are talking about one of the quote-unquote living characters over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, one of the sort of live performers, and that's Wes Palm, That is a moving, talking, roving palm tree who performs in the Oasis area. As you said, uh, he or she will uh, approach guests and adults and kids alike and talk to them and make jokes and things like that. Uh, Very similar along the same lines as Pippa. That's a talking uh, trash can that appears over in Conservation Station. There's also Push that appears in Tomorrowland. Just one of the many sort of roving... Uh, bits of entertainment, little surprises that you can get as you walk through the parks. From what I understand, West Palm makes his slash her way around the Oasis. Uh, You might be able to check your times guide for schedules or even ask a cast member if they know when West Palm or one of the other entertainers might be out. Next email says, Lou, you inspired me on your recent half mile run, so I decided to start to train for the 2010 half marathon. I never ran a marathon before, so I'm glad I'm giving myself plenty of time to train. Not long ago, I saw on Deb Will's site that the 2009 half marathon was already full and closed. Can you tell me when I need to register, where and how I need to register, and how much does it cost? I want to thank you for everything you do. I look forward to your show every week. Thanks for inspiring me to run the 2010 half marathon. That's from Paul in Barnegat, New Jersey. Paul, thank you for listening and congratulations. You have taken the hardest and the first step, and that's just deciding to go ahead and do it. Now comes the easy part registering, training for the most part, and running and having a great time in the marathon. Like you said, the marathons do fill up pretty quickly, and yes, believe it or not, uh, the 2009 half marathon is already sold out. What you need to do is visit DisneyWorldSports.Disney.Go.com. There you'll find a link for headline events. There you'll find the Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend. I'll also put a link up to that in this week's show notes so you can get to it easily. There you can register for the Goofy Race and a Half Challenge, the full half family fun, some of the kids' races, some of the different events that they have going on. As far as when registration opens, it really opens not long after the last year's marathon closes. So you might want to start looking January, February for the the dates um, online as to when registration opens. Obviously, pay attention online as well. I'll also try and cover that on the show, when those dates will be. Like I said, the half marathon, filled up very quickly. That is $115 per person. It's $125 for the full marathon, and you'll see on the website exactly what that includes. Because in addition to just getting to run in the race, you get a race program, and you get a shirt, and a goodie bag, and transportation, and all kinds of other stuff to really sort of make this a memorable experience that I had. So, congratulations to you and anybody else that's decided to go ahead and run. Um, as I said in the show, it was one of those once in a lifetime things that I've done at Walt Disney World that I will never ever forget. And I'm sure, Paul, that you'll have the same type of experience. Next email isn't a question, but it's a comment, and it's from Jonathan Levy, who said Lou, I live in Southern California, about 100 miles from Disneyland, so I get to go about three times per year. We travel to Walt Disney World for a week stay about once every two years. They are just different places with some common pieces. And in listening to the discussion of Disneyland, yes, I'm running a bit behind, you mentioned the difference in the queue areas and that a lot of restaurant seating is outside. What you didn't see off-season is that the queues are often extended outside the attractions with stanchions and ropes when it gets busy. These issues always seemed obvious to me and it goes beyond having less space. Florida is often very hot, humid, and not very occasionally very wet. Southern California is seldom any of these, so outside almost always works at Disneyland, but can be rather unpleasant in Florida. P.S. only eight rides on Indiana Jones? Come on, that's just Bush League. My personal best is 11. Jonathan, you need to take that up with Eric Hollister. But you make a great point, and that's why I wanted to read this on the show that maybe we didn't address as far as it being beyond just space restrictions as to how and why. And a good example for this, for example, is that maybe we didn't address properly on the show and that it it goes above and beyond just space restrictions because the weather does play into, a, uh, into a, a large factor. And if you look at something like the Mad Tea Party, your Mad Tea Party in Disneyland is uncovered where our Mad Tea Party in Walt Disney World is covered. And obviously that is because of the extreme temperatures and the heat and, yes, the rain that we get in Florida. So So great point, and thanks very much for pointing that out. Time for one more email. This one comes from Jamie Hagel in Wakanda, Illinois. said, hey Lou, love the show. I've been getting caught up on some old shows lately and have been enjoying the details of MouseFest. My question to you is, if there are any other MouseFest type events going on in other cities. Because of work schedules, we're not able to attend MouseFests and I think it would be great if there was one near where I live. I live in a suburb of Chicago and I'm sure there are plenty of people who would enjoy this. So just wanted to know if there were any. Also, I love the Animal Kingdom music, especially the one from the Safari. Do you know where I can get a copy of this? I sometimes hear you play it. Keep up the wonderful work. It helps me get my fix until my five-month and baby-to-be are old enough to go to experience the magic. Jamie. Okay, your first question was about MouseFest-type events. For those who may not be familiar, MouseFest is a yearly gathering of Disney fans in Walt Disney World, usually around the first or second week of December. Those events take place with in-the-park meets, out-of-the-park get-togethers, dinners, group rides, a lot of different type of things. But as far as MouseFest-type events outside of MouseFest, a couple of things come to mind. The first would be Magic Meets. That's a yearly event that's been held for the past five years. That is now held in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. That is a gathering of about 500, 550 Disney fans who like to get together outside the park. There are guest speakers. There are uh, tables with authors and webmasters and podcasters either selling or displaying some of the things from their sites. There's also a charity auction that we run at, uh, at Magic Meets to raise money for the Dream Team Project. And it's also filled with little breakout sessions where an author or a webmaster might have uh, a little talk about their, little, their area of expertise. That sells out pretty quickly. And again, that's held once a year, usually around mid-July. Another thing that you might want to look into is the NFFC. That's the National Fantasy Fan Club. That's a national organization with local chapters throughout the country of Disney fans, uh, to a certain degree, more so Disney collectors, uh, people who like to collect Disneyana, different types of collectibles. But they have a lot of local chapters. I know in Jersey, I believe there's one. Uh, if you go to NFFC.org, you'll be able to find a list of chapters that might be in your area. I know speaking for the New Jersey chapter, they will hold meetings uh, every other month where somebody will get together at a certain location or somebody's house. There may be a guest speaker. They may just talk about Disney things. They might be uh, an auction to raise money for charity, but just a chance, like you said, for Disney fans to get together. Again, so I would look at mousefest.org to find out about going to MouseFest. You can also look at magicmeets.com. NFFC.org and also look to WDWCelebrations.com. That is a, is a new website where uh, there are events that take place throughout the year, such as the Disney's Animal Kingdom Wild Decade event. There's the Celebration 25 event that sort of kicked that off, and a number of other, of other events that will take place in Walt Disney World where Disney fans can get together. You can find out more information there at WDWCelebrations.com. As far as music from Disney's Animal Kingdom is concerned, one of the best places to get it is the Animal Kingdom soundtrack CD. There are about 16 tracks from there, ranging from the Tree of Life theme to background music that you might hear in the Oasis or in Discovery Island. There's also a bonus track from Diggin' in Dino Land. That'll give you a good sampling of some of the music from around the parks. Other music that you might be looking for specifically, like the uh, the radio, might not be on this CD, but some of it is actually from artists that perform the music that you can buy on individual CDs from them. So, for example, this track... (music) ...is called Namo, N-H-A-M-O. That's by a group called the Balafon Marimba Ensemble. That is something you can find on Amazon. Of course, the trick is to actually find out what the names of all this music really is. I do know that a couple of the other groups that have done some music, say for example for the Flame Tree Barbecue area, are not only Balafon, but a group called Jai Utal, J-A-I-U-T-T-A-L, as well as a group called Out, Outback. So if you search on Amazon, you might be able to find music by these groups that might be some of the Animal Kingdom music that you're looking for specifically. So that's going to do it for this week's email section. If you have an email that you'd like to have read on the air, you can email it to lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you have a question, comment, some feedback that you want to give, you can leave a voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. Thank you for tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to extend my thanks and congratulations once again to Justin Michoni, Disney's first chief magic official. I look forward to hearing from him during his tenure as he makes some true Disney magic. I also want to say thanks to Jeff Pepper and George Taylor from 2719 Hyperion and the Imagine Erding blogs, respectively, for joining me on the roundtable. Hope you found that helpful and enjoyable. If you want to be on the air, or if you have a segment suggestion, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939 with your questions, comments, reviews, or, as always, just a hello from the parks. A couple of quick notes I wanted to mention. Be sure you head on over to DisneyWorldTrivia.com to join our forums. On the site, you can also find my blog, news, and articles from guest columnists, There you can also get your copy of my books or audio guide CD, and be sure to check out my new preview video for Main Street USA on the homepage or the audio guide information page. I also want to let you know that in the next week or so, I'll be a guest on my friend Gary Chambers' Mouse Lounge podcast at mouselounge.com. We have a very interesting discussion about a variety of Disney topics, and it's a show that I recommend you check out anyway. Also, at wdwradio.com, you can visit our show notes page, where I'm going to have links to stories and segments that I covered this week. I'm also going to have some links to some resources that I think can help you plan and enjoy your Walt Disney World vacation, whether it be getting discount Disney tickets from OrlandoFunTickets.com, planning your vacation with the best personal service and lowest possible price with Mouse Fan Travel, or storing all those vacation necessities that you need and use each and every time you visit in your personal storage locker from OwnersLocker.com. Many of you have asked me and I'm still working on the Adventureland Audio Guide CD. I should have a release date for that coming very soon. I also want you to listen in for some additional announcements I'll be making on the show as well. And of course, I have a lot more planned in the coming weeks, including some more special guests and some great trivia and history segments, travel planning tips and more. I'll also be back in the parks a number of times in the next few weeks and months. So stay tuned to hear how you can join me as I record segments live from Walt Disney World. And as always... If you like the show, you can come on over and post your comments on the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. You can find the link there from WDWRadio.com. Also, please review the show in iTunes, and more importantly, please help spread the word and let others know about it. Have a great week, and thanks for tuning in again. See ya. Before playing the voicemails this week, I want to take a quick second and just say that I came to learn that earlier in the week, Bob Varley, who is a podcaster over at the Diz Unplugged, unexpectedly passed away and i wanted to extend my sincere condolences not just to bob's immediate family but his extended family over at the diz because you know i know that podcasts i think allow us as hosts and and you as listeners to connect in a very sort of personal way even though we may have never met one another and it seems like that's the relationship that bob had with his listeners i never got a chance to meet bob personally um, but i could see from the outpouring of support um how important he was to so many people. And, you know, it's always sad when somebody passes, but when we, as a community, lose a fellow member, uh it's even sadder. So I wanted to just take a moment, let you guys know, and once again extend my condolences uh to, to Bob Varley, everybody over at the Diz, and of course, Bob's extended family as part of the Disney community.
7: Hello, Lumangello. This is Lori. It's a beautiful morning here in Epcot. It's about 8 o'clock uh, during the, mar- the mini marathon weekend. It's the 15K. And I just want to call and tell you thank you for inspiring me to do this. This is a wonderful experience. Very interesting and uh, can't wait to see you at the half. Bye.
4: Lori, thanks for the voicemail update and congratulations to you and everybody that ran in the Women Race for the World today as part of the mini-marathon weekend. I think it's an awesome job. Congratulations. You guys should all be very proud of yourselves.
7: Hey, Lou, this is Kevin Wirtz from Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, uh, you guys were talking in the last show about um, the uh, Mike and Sully show, or the what's it called, uh, the lap floor, and you were saying how Sully was not included. Well, I think, I think the answer is kind of obvious, and uh, this kind of goes back to when we saw um, – Uh, the uh, crush show for the first time Uh, when I first saw it I thought well uh, they must be using some kind of technology that changes the person's voice to sound like the character Uh, but then after I saw it and I heard slight variations in the voice I'm convinced that they they just use a number of different actors that can imitate the voice and so I think with the Laugh Floor Comedy Club well Mike's a pretty easy character um, to imitate and Roz I mean you know anybody can imitate Roz right um uh, and so and same with crush i think that you know that's uh, a little bit more easier voice to uh to imitate but but i don't think that uh it's it'd be pretty hard to get a good sully imitation uh, john goodman has such a rich voice that i think it'd be pretty tough to get uh actors who could really do a good job imitating his voice so that's just my impression on why sully's not included but uh that's all i had to say talk to you later thanks
1: Hey Lou, it's Captain Mike from Bayside Marina, just listening to show 64, and you had an email asking about Tapestry of Nations, Tapestry of Dreams, and talked about the music being played after Illuminations, but what you should have mentioned also is during Illuminations there is a portion where you can see the parade on the globe. Now it's during a part where there's a lot of fireworks going on, so a lot of people are looking up, but if you keep your eye on the globe you will see the uh large puppets and um it's just about maybe 15 20 seconds worth but i thought i'd just uh clue you in to maybe look down like you always say You gotta look around a little bit so great podcast lou keep up the great work looking forward to the rest of the uh tour guides you're coming out with and uh keep in touch buddy
4: And finally, a number of you have emailed me asking if I'd play this once again, so here it is from listener Jesse Maseglia, his version of the WDW radio show song.
0: Disney World's a place where I love to go, all the hidden Mickeys I surely know, but I live far away, I can't go everywhere. into things with a DSI, and the rumor mill gets my hopes held high memories clearly seen in the wayback machine it's a good